Hey Hawks fans, Luke Bruce here. CJ here. Jarman here. If you love the Hawks, then you need to be connected to the Hawks Insiders. It's got all the latest news, match recaps, interviews and specialised content written by the Hawks fans for the Hawks fans. Make sure you subscribe. Get your daily dose of Hawthorne content into your inbox. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Here from Jarman MP for the Insiders. Hi everyone, welcome to the Hawks Insiders postseason player review podcast series. I am your host today, Danny Prince. I'm joined by my esteemed colleague and co-host, Andrew Weiss, out of his deathbed. His commitment to the Hawks Insiders faithful is second to none. Uh, we are going to kick off our postseason player review podcast series with uh, a group of five players and you will hear different voices throughout this series previewing and discussing um, various different players broken up into very interesting groups of five or six uh, six people um, and yet we will provide our insights. We will go over their um, season stats, our thoughts on what their season looked like, uh, what to expect next year and what to hope for over preseason. So uh, before we get stuck into it, Andrew Weiss, how are you? G'day, Prinzi. Uh, felt better, but any opportunity, you know, when when we run through a couple of the names in the group that we're going to be looking at today, uh, any opportunity to have a chat about them in particular, um, yeah, it would be, I, I wouldn't be able to refuse no matter how I'm feeling. So I'm very excited to get into it. Um, it's a great series. We've got looking at the players, uh, players as a group. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I think given the success and, and the positivity stemming from the season, it just adds another, um, exciting little, um, little aspect to focus on having a look at a number of players as a whole and going back and enjoying where we've come from over, over the course of the season. Absolutely. Um, don't keep us in the lurch. Um, drop the num drop the names of the players we're going to review today, and then we'll get stuck into it. No worries. Well, actually, we've broken them up into into groups of players alphabetically, um, as if um, through the pods you may have listened to already, you haven't uh, you haven't cottoned on to. Today we've got Mitch Lewis, Ned Long, Max Lynch, Connor McDonald. And Bailey McDonald, and and for those playing at home, they're probably able to already identify uh, if they've been listening. Some of the um, the what side of the fence each of us are going to be sitting on on a couple of those players. So um, yeah, but some big names there to get into. We see. I think the prerequisite for me jumping on the pod with you for this one was. Let's crunch through the other four players in five minutes so we can chat about Connor McDonald for 25 minutes. Is that a fair reflection of the conversation you and I had before we started recording? Um, oh, maybe not quite because I was happy to give some of the other players less than their five minutes and and spend significantly longer on on Con. Um, but I, I, I think the breakup was more as much time on him as possible, maybe um, a little bit more for than the others for Mitch Lewis. Uh, and then, uh, and then we can just, you know, mention the other guys' names, but no, no, we'll do them all justice and have a good chat about each of them. 
All right. Well, let's get started. Um, we'll start with uh, our spearhead, number two for the Hawthorne Hawks, uh, Mitch Lewis. Uh, came into the season under an injury cloud, um, strained or st- sprained his ACL in preseason, and it made him miss the first, I think, five or six matches of the season. Um, with that in mind and the fact that he missed uh, the last couple, he still played 15 matches this season, we see. And I say still because we know that Mitch Lewis's biggest issue um, has been consistency and ability to stay on the park. Uh, and that obviously he's not played a full season in his career. He's played 66 matches across his career um, and, uh, you know, 15 this season when all things are considered, um, maybe not necessarily a, a bad result compared compared to what we had initially thought might be the case early in preseason. Now, um, one thing to keep in mind that if this football club wants to go forward, uh, we do need Mitch Lewis to play 20 games a season. Uh, we need him to play 20 games a season and kick 50 goals a season. And, um, That'll probably be, we'll get to it, but that'll probably be the aim for him going forward for next year. Um, his season average stats, uh, 12.8 disposals, which was above average, 8.3 of those are kicks, 2.4 goals per game. Uh, and they obviously, that is above average as well. And and a 0.6 improvement on his career average. His goal accuracy was 57.1, which is in the average range for key forwards. Um, He took 5.7 marks a game, which again is above average and 1.2 above his career average. So we're seeing progression in all of these um, stats uh, over the course of this season comparatively to previous ones. Um, Tackles, uh, 1.7, not too bad for a big man. Um, And had... uh, Obviously, his key or top season performance was in the absolute drubbing of the hapless West Coast Eagles reserve side down in Tasmanian round 10. Mitch Lewis had 24 disposals. 16 of those were kicks. He kicked six goals. Um, So he had a big day that day. Um, One other big game, he had 11 marks against the Western Bulldogs in round seven. So you could really see there was a purple patch of form in the middle of that season after he got started um, and was able to make uh, make some real inroads into being one of the most dominant key forwards in the competition. Um, We see... Before we really break it down, a snapshot into into Mitch Lewis's season, please. Yeah, so I think, I mean, you've hit the nail on all of the heads there. The, the other game I think worth noting was uh, uh, the Collingwood win, which so many players, you know, we spoke to Will Day and he talked about how it's the best win of his career. I think he had 16, uh, 10 marks, five inside 50s with his couple of goals in that game. So that was significant as well. Um I think it was a great season for him considering he missed all of those games at the start. And for me, I think we could actually go through because he's only six years or six seasons into his career and look at, at the game and goal breakdown to understand what we need from him, which you talked about. So year one, 2018 played two matches. Um, They were in the middle of the season Year two, where he moved to the number eight jumper um, in 2019, 12 games and 20 goals. And and that was probably the first realisation that he wasn't just a draft pick with a great name, that there might actually be something more to him. Um, and then 2020, the COVID year, he really struggled, played eight matches uh, for five goals. 
Um, so, so I kind of go, well, let's forget about those three years and look at the next chunk of three years post the season, like no other, um, still available at all good bookstores, uh, written by Ashley Brown, go out and grab it. 2021 played 14 matches, kicked 22 goals. So still not necessarily the goals per game ratio you're hoping for and the question mark still there. But then last year, 37 in 15, this year, 36 in 15. So what we've been able to see is that he's the guy, right? Like he's our spearhead that when you talk about Larky and you talk about Kerno and you talk about the young gun forwards of the competition, he sits in there in that category with them. What we need, as you said, is for him to be playing 20 plus goals a season. And and Brad talks about this all the time in terms of his, um, his, uh, from a fitness point of view, from a longevity point of view, will we ever get to see him play 20 matches? And I think as important as the, the question of who's our second forward going to be, who's the second forward, where's he going to come from? We need key forwards that does the round every single week. Actually, more important than that is that Mitch Lewis plays 20 plus games in a season. Yep. Because yep. if he doesn't, it's irrelevant who that second forward is. At the Unless that second forward stuff. is Ben King. Right. But even still, you know, the, the notion of, well, Ben King or Norton or Todd Marshall or whoever we get as as the one-two combination are going to work as a one-two combination. Correct. If he's not there, then all of that pressure is going to be on them and we'll still be able to win games. But... Um, it's start from the beginning. We've got him here. We need to find out a way that he plays 20 plus games a season. And if he did, you know, he'll be kicking 60 plus goals a game, which puts him in that top bracket of forwards in the competition. Before you move on, I want to touch on the group of 15 games this year and that they, if we keep in mind that he had a delayed start to his season, um, started the season um, against the Western Bulldogs uh, in round seven. Um, he played pretty much every game, but yeah, he played pretty much every game until um, until his season was written off. And if we really want to break it down, he probably plays the last week or two if the season meant anything. Um, so they put him in cotton wool because we were finishing 16th, no matter what happened. And there was nothing to gain from playing him. I think what that says is, yes, there was the ACL sprain in preseason and those things are unavoidable. They're impact injuries generally, and there's not much you can do about them. There were no soft tissue injuries this year. That's a big, big, big deal. And a huge feather in the cap of uh, our strength and conditioning team headed by Peter Burge. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some consistency and continuity um, in his football in the next couple of years with Peter Burge at the helm um, without, you know, sort of factoring in those impact injuries that nobody can control, but really exciting to see this year that there was no um, soft tissue injuries, which really sort of have derailed him in previous seasons. 
Yeah, and I mean, it's kind of the same with with Will Day. Uh, you kind of get to a point where it doesn't matter what the type of injury is, he's just going to stop getting injured, right? Like, yeah, so but uh, we've got to, We've got to have that differentiation if we want to like look at sure. you know what the issues are. You know, yeah. if you look at Chad Wingard, if you look at um, Sean Burgoyne in his later years, Cyril Rioli, if we look at um, uh, CJ at the moment and how they're looking to change the way that he trains in order to allow his body to deal with what it needs to deal with to to be able to carry him across the line. Mitch Lewis had some some similar issues there and they look like they've been rectified. So for him to get 15 games on the trot, um, in a in yep. a season has been impressive for him, and I think that that is not the answer, but a good foundation to be able to build on for next year going in and say, hey, I was able to play this block of games with no injury interruptions in between. Yeah, there were some issues either side, um, but I I think we're probably having a different conversation. A, if we're in finals contention and he plays those games at the back end of the year, and he plays eighteen games out of out of a possible order or seventeen games out of a possible whatever with only the ACL sprain, a freak, a freak injury, uh, unavoidable injury in preseason, stopping him from playing a full season. Yeah. And I think, you know what, that's also goes hands in hands with when you look at his raw stats for this season, they're actually so good. Like if, very, you, very good. if you take his first game, that game you mentioned about the Bulldogs, he kicked one goal four. You take that game out of it, and for his next 14 matches, he kicks 35-16 for the season. And yep. in 11 of the 15 games that he plays, he kicks multiple goals. Yep. There's so only one game, and that's against GWS in round 17, where he doesn't kick a goal. Yeah, and I was at that game uh, in Sydney, and it was, uh, I mean, Trash. yeah, yeah. It was hardly his fault, but... Uh, yeah, we were lucky to be in that game for as long as we were. Um, he had a stellar season. And I, I just think that um, in terms of, you know, we're now looking at recruits and who we can get to fast track our development and and try and get us to finals quicker and get our grand final winning team quicker on the whiteboard. Um if we wanted to play finals next year or we want to get deeper, having him play 20 games this season is critical and is probably just as important as finding a 25 year old that can slot in, who's going to be part of the group. So yep. yeah, hundred percent. I think something to keep in mind, it's not the, doesn't change anything um, particularly, but um, key forwards come into their own around 24 um, Mitch Lewis has just hit 24. So we should have an expectation that the next four to five years are really the hitting zone for Mitch Lewis. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're tracking along well in the development, but we're going to want to get him some help when he's in the sweet spot for his career arc. So um, we should be looking, if it's not this year, um, you know, at, at, at what we can do to be able to support Mitch. But I think all in all, um, the summary is absolutely accurate. It's a season of promise, but a season that, um, again, had some question marks around it in terms of longevity and ability to stay on the park consistently. So hopefully we get a bit more of that out of him. 
next year. Moving on to Ned Long, uh, 20-year-old, um, very, very, very tall midfielder. We've got a few of these guys uh, in, you know, Connor Nash, Henry Huthswaite, who are, you know, um, 192 or taller centimeters. Uh, Ned is sits at 194 and 94 kilos. That's a key position. That's a key position uh, um, set of stats right there. So Ned played four matches this season and five across his career. So he played the one last year uh, and then uh, he played two, uh, four this year. Um, averaged 8.5. Uh, disposals, 3.5 of them were kicks, five handballs, 1.5 marks, four tackles, uh, half a clearance. And his best game statistically was uh, round 23 against the Demons, where he had 12 disposals. Um, it was more of a Box Hill really promising development season at Box Hill for Ned Long. Um, the stats obviously don't jump out of the page. I think what is very interesting is that in his four games, he averaged four tackles a game. That is above average for AFL. So for a young player to be able to come in and do that from the from the bounce means that he has that tenacity, that ferocity, that hunger to compete. So even if he's not getting his hands on it, he's getting in and around it and he's really uh, ensuring that he's um, there or thereabouts and giving it a great crack. Um, how did you sum up Ned's second season in the books, we see? Well, I, I think you're spot on in terms of talking about uh, his season to, in terms of it being all about what he did at Box Hill because the the um, the patchwork of um, of work to have a look at from the four rounds this season, you've got his first game this year against GWS in Norwood, um, which was um, part of Gather Round, and he'd been dominating and came in and played full forward. There were times when he was one out in the goal square, um, played full forward. We were all so excited to see him in the middle um, and played so much of the game up forward. So then plays the next week against Adelaide and is dropped, comes on as a sub against Richmond round 19. So average stats don't necessarily then tell the story. The tackles are significant. Um, I really like him. I know as a group, we have a lot of, um, and you've mentioned this Prinzi around for our midfield unit. What is it that he's got that differentiates him from the rest? And, and you and Brad have, have talked about struggling to find exactly what that is that makes him special compared to the rest of them. And, or, or not necessarily playing the same role as as a Jai who at this point he's not going to get in front of, right? So um, what is it about him? And for me, I go what I've seen with him at Box Hill, like I, I think he can make it as a player and he turns 21 in February. So he's 20 years old and I go, you know, we're going to get to Connor McDonald soon. Uh, anyway, I can wave him into other players' reviews. Obviously, I'm going to try and do it. But you're going, to, you're going to mention Prinzi about he hasn't even had time in the middle yet, Connor McDonald. And uh, my thinking is, well, if you've got someone capable enough that can do great work in the middle 
without Connor McDonald having to go in there. And then you can use Connor McDonald doing what he's been doing impressively around the ground. You know, that there are, um, there are potential opportunities as a midfield unit to shuffle it around. So um, it's very early days to be making that call. Clearly he deserves to be on the list longer and clearly he deserves some opportunities playing in the guts. So Hopefully we see that next year because the other reality is if we don't see it next year, he's probably going to struggle to get that opportunity as we've got another um, year into some of that core midfield group. I think that's a really good summary and we don't need to spend too much time on Ned Long um, today, but I think if you look at his VFL stats, he probably averaged around 27 disposals a game at VFL level for a second year player who was a, um, a rookie listed player. Um, th th those are fantastic stats and he did it in a variety of positions. And I think that that's what the Hawks are doing because they know he cannot be a work walk up start into the Hawthorne midfield going forward. So he needs to have added strings to his bow, uh, whether that's playing out on the wing off a halfback flank in the forward line, um, whatever, whatever, and wherever Ned Long plays, he is able to find the ball at VFL level. So that's a, that's a really good positive. I think just to touch on your point before we wrap it up for Ned, he is, a very, very good VFL footballer. My concern is how does he transition into AFL and what are what are his standout attributes that give him a spot in the AFL team ahead of somebody else? Um, I'm not saying he doesn't have them. I'm just saying I haven't yet seen them other than his size. Um, and I, I worry a little bit about his kicking. Um, it's awkward. It's a, it's a hot, it's a, it's an, unfortunately awkward ball drop which allows a lot of room for error uh and um you know and i think that that hurts him you know when you talk about the quality of the ball use that we want to have in our midfielders and we 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 complain or we hear our supporters complain a lot about um james warple and even connor nash to a lesser extent and their ball use um can you afford to have another player like that in your midfield rotation that's probably the question uh, that needs to be asked. And that's probably the area of his game that Ned Long needs to work on. I don't disagree with any of that, Prinzi. The only thing I would add on to that is so spot on about clearly he's too good already or at the elite level at VFL level, he's 20 years old. So if yep. I'm comparing that comment to the other players, we'd say it. So Harry Morrison, Lockie Bramble, you know, mm -hmm. we talked about Dan Howe in that category, way too good for VFL level. Can they yep. cut it? Yep. I go, he's 20 years old. We're not winning premierships for three, four, five years. Yep. So he's more important to us on the list because he possibly can transition to AFL level yep. versus some of those other guys. So, and I think I think to tie a bow on it, where we probably both sit is right now. It's important that Ned Long stays on the list. He's a good depth piece. He might be more than that. He may not be. But all good teams have players like Ned Long on their list that they can call into AFL action if and when required. That do the job at VFL when not required. So you absolutely do not move on a Ned Long. You keep him on the list because he may be able to become something. But even if he doesn't, you've got that plug and play type player that can come in and do a job at AFL level. That's going to give you more upside than somebody like Harry Morrison or Lockie Bramble. 
Moving on to the most unfortunate player on Hawthorne's list, Max Lynch, forced to retire midway through the year because of concussion issues. Um, we won't spend too much time on Max. I want to start by saying, um, you know, we send our well wishes to him and um, all the best for his career post playing football. Um, you know, Max was never the most talented player or even the most talented ruckman on our list, but an incredible um locker room presence an incredible um person to have around the club and really just one of the really good ones so um you know hopefully the hawks utilize him in their social media content going forward because he is just money for jam from that perspective and um and yeah he he deserves to have a fair crack at whatever he chooses to do post his um uh, playing career. He just played the one game this season and finished with 11 matches in his career. And it was a game um, against the Crows round six um, where, you know, there wasn't much to write home about nine hit outs, two touches, two clearances, um, and, and, and not too much uh, to talk about. We see, uh, did you want to put anything on the record uh, for Max Lynch before we move on? Yeah. I think just quickly, there's the two elements to to, to Max Lynch in a review like this one's the human element, which is yep. of course, like what a disaster personally in terms of what he would have wanted to have as a career and how it's unfolded. And um, at the end of the day, his health comes first. So that's far more important than playing 200 games and, and totally agree with you. And I mean, how unlucky he had, concussions he had bee stings he had COVID he had everything keeping him out of games um and and you couldn't have much more of an unlucky player in terms of um talent and ability as a ruckman I was always suspect as to whether he was going to be one of the answers for us um and that was that was I think that's a that was fair but it's probably also balanced with just love a player who puts everything out there and plays with heart. And you can see that even when you're losing or getting done, they put everything into it. And, you know, he, he, he took over somewhat from big boy, Ben McAvoy, who's um, the ultimate example of that. And the guys that you want to see hurting when they come off, when you're crap and you're losing and Lynch was the same, like you put everything into it. He just, um, I think, as an actual ruckman and footballer, didn't necessarily have it. Um, as a clubman, outstanding. What you know, everything he did around socials and that sort of stuff, outstanding effort, outstanding. Just wasn't meant to be. So, um, yeah, no doubt he'll have enjoyed his his four or five years in the system. Um, and uh, you know, he could clearly get a role whether internally in club land or at AFL land or, or externally in the media, cause he's got that presence about him. So wish him well with, with his future endeavors. Absolutely. Uh, moving on to Bailey McDonald, um, draftee picked up, uh, late in the draft last year. Um, lightning quick, uh, rapid halfback flank uh, because the Hawks don't have enough halfback flank options. They drafted another one, um, but there's something about Bailey McDonald, isn't there? And I think this is what you, when you look at players and, and probably where I differentiate somebody like Bailey McDonald from somebody like Josh Morris, 
prospects uh, who are playing similar positions, you can see AFL quality attributes in Bailey McDonald and where his bread will be butted at an AFL level with his pace, his ability to break the lines, his ability to run and carry a ball um, and use it uh, well to get the ball past wherever that that's defensive zone might be and be able to get it into Hawthorne's forward line uh, quickly. Um, so Bailey played um, two games in his debut season, which I think is a fantastic effort for a guy who didn't go down the traditional pathways into AFL. Um, he averaged 12 and a half disposals per game, six and a half kicks, um, six handballs, five and a half marks, a tackle, uh, 207 metres gained. He obviously made his debut against Port Adelaide. I believe he was a um, like a late in for he, that game. He against came Port in for uh, Seamus Mitchell, who I think was That's a right. late withdrawal with illness. Illness, yep. And played that role fairly well in a pretty heavy loss. I thought he was uh, fairly reasonable. Um, and then ha had to wait another 10 games um, to play his second game against the Western Bulldogs um, in a three-point win. He had 15 disposals and five marks. Um, just want to touch on his VFL season as well before I get your thoughts, Weesey. Um, played 17 games in the VFL, which I think is a fantastic effort first up and was really important for the for the Hawks, the, the Box Hill Hawks in a lot of those games. He averaged a shade under 17 disposals per game. So you can see that even in a the VFL setting where there are probably less possessions per game to be shared around amongst uh, the players. Bailey McDonald knows how to get his hands on it and he's playing a predominantly outside role. So he's reliant on other players to help him find the footy. Um, but what he does do is, as I mentioned, he he really breaks the lines really well and uses it pretty well by, by foot when he goes long. I think he needs to work on um, some of his short kicking. A disposal short is often the decision-making around those short kicks, kicking to guys who are flat-footed. Um, you saw that at AFL level once or twice. He was caught out turning the ball over, chipping the ball inside the defensive 50 to guys who are flat-footed. And, um, you know, the opposition picks those like they pick cherries. So um, there are still plenty of things for Bailey McDonald to work on. But what were your takeaways from his first season, we see? Yeah, so I think you've covered everything from an on-the-ground football perspective. Um, my just additional things to that, I guess, are interestingly, that second game against the Western Bulldogs, he came on as the sub um, Correct. for Chad, who obviously went off early in that game. So he did manage to get pretty much the full game, which was great. Um, but oh, I, I think the other additional thing is, you know, for a late draftee, he's clearly having an impact at the club. When you speak to, when you speak to people, when you see um, clips through socials, when there are players discussing, you know, who they're impressed by, he's getting mentions. And and for a for a first year player, uh, for a first year player drafted at fifty one, like he's clearly having an impact off the field, let alone, you know, and at training and around the club, let alone what he can do on it. And as you said, what he can do on it is exciting. So a fair bit to work on, but um, expecting him to be around for a while. And um, yeah, he, he definitely looks the goods. Absolutely. And we will move on to what everybody's been waiting for, nobody more so than my co-host today, uh, Connor McDonald, uh, 
as dubbed by Darren Levine, Con, as dubbed by his teammates, Croc. Uh, I'm not really big in using players' nicknames as a way of of talking about a player, but um, I, I kind of love the the Croc nickname. I, I don't know why. Um but we will get into his season, played um, 21 matches this season to get up to 41 matches in his career across two seasons, which is phenomenal effort, see when you consider, um, you know, that he's been at the club for two years and has been playing on a half forward flank to play 41 games in his first two seasons. Um, the Hawks, firstly, before I get into his stats, the Hawks must be pretty happy with that. Yeah, I think you look at some of our other first, second, third year draftees to get 41 games into into one of them um, is exceptional. But when we get into the stats and have a, a, a look more specifically at even year on year, so he's, he's 20 games in 2022 and 21 games this season, and he's gone from 263 disposals to 363. So we're talking about same number of games. Um, he's gone from 67 marks to 84 marks, 35 tackles to 54 tackles, 41 inside 50s to 54 inside 50s. Um, he's drawing, you know, 10 more free season on season, um, you know, 15% more contested possessions, uh, nearly what 30% more uncontested possessions. So, um, if you were charting development, you actually could not, you couldn't ask for any, anything better with what we've seen purely from, his ability to improve, get the football and his impact on matches. Absolutely. Let's get into the stats. Um, you touched on a lot of them playing as a high half forward average 17.3 disposals, which is in the elite category for a half forward flank um, 10 kicks again, elite 7.3 handballs above average four marks above average 2.6 tackles, which is average and probably one area that we would like Connor to continue to improve on. If you that defensive pressure as a, as a forward, high half forward, really important to get um, maybe shadow um, Dylan Moore, who's really, really good at that, uh, at that defensive pressure. He kicked 0.6 goals a game, which is below average. Um, loves a goal, Connor McDonald, not as much as Dylan Moore, but does is sneakily um, tracking on it. I think probably wants to work on a little bit of the, the goal kicking efficiency, um, but had a couple of really cracking games, including one uh, which I was like, Lucky enough to witness in person, 28 disposals and two goals against the Brisbane Lions on a Saturday afternoon at the MCG uh, in one of our better wins of the year. Um, talk us through that game and, and the highlights that we did see from Connor this year. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that was probably his breakout game, right? I, I mean, yeah. clearly his most disposals in a game, he kicked those couple of goals that you mentioned. He was significant in terms of his contribution inside 50. Um, what? And that game was probably the epitome of, he does manage to get a lot of cheap touches, but by cheap touches and uncontested touches, he actually works hard to get them. And what yep. I've seen a lot of this year is, Yes, he plays half forward, but what's crept in, especially in the second half of, of the year, dare I say it's sort of Dylan Moore-esque when he's at his best. And and McDonald seems to be collecting touches off the half back line. So he's running really hard to be able to get the ball transitioning uncontested, even as far back as half back to help 
um, pr propel us moving forward. Um, I, I totally agree with what you said. I think his goal kicking is is the biggest notable improvement that can be made. Um, you think of the number of times he sort of runs to 50 or runs to 40 and and you're thinking he's such a good user of the ball, like like mark this down. And he's gone at 12, 15 for the year. So if he's turning 12 goals into 20, 25 goals next season, then again, as that half forward uh, coming up the ground further, like his values enormous. Um, it's probably worth that conversation, Prinzi, now around those figures, um, the benchmarking that you talked about has him as elite as a half forward. And if our midfield unit is dominating as much as it is, and we want to see more minutes into guys in the middle midfield, like a will day, should he be sticking to this role um, that, that he seems to be playing so well and making his own because finding a, a, a premiership half forward is probably then going to be more difficult than finding a premiership player that slots into the midfield with the group that we've got. Yeah, and it's a it's a really good conversation point, and I'm I'm glad we can discuss this sort of with a bit of detail. I I, I think eventually Connor McDonald will be a midfielder who rests at half forward, um, or vice versa. Um, we haven't seen much Connor McDonald through the midfield at AFL level at all. Uh, McDonald played one game for Box Hill um, earlier this year. It was against the Casey Demons in a 30-point loss. I remember watching it on uh, Channel 7, um, and he played the whole game in the guts. He had 29 disposals. He had five marks, five inside 50s, two rebound 50s, two tackles and kicked a goal. And I remember thinking, this is the guy I saw snippets of playing for Dandenong Stingrays in the TAC Cup back then uh, or the NAB League. Um, and this is where he should be long-term because he's actually fantastic in and under winning the first ball. And I think you'll find eventually he will replace um, somebody like James Warple in our midfield unit because of his ability to do both things. He has extra strings to his bow. So what they're doing now is they're increasing his value by um, getting him really, really good at playing a different role uh, because not everybody that comes into an AFL system is able to play their preferred role. Um, you know, you come in, everybody comes in as a midfielder or everybody comes in as a key forward uh, or a key back. And then they have to transition based on team needs into different positions. And Connor McDonald's have to have to do that in his first two years. And I think that's fine. Uh, even next year, it's fine for him to play, um, you know, even 80%, um, as a, as a high half forward, but I would be looking if I'm Hawthorne about opportunities to get him to transition and play some, some AFL football in the midfield and integrate him into that midfield unit with Will Day and Jai Newcomb and guys like that, because they're the guys that are going to carry us forward to our next premiership tilt. Yeah, and we're probably going to know next year whether that is the plan or not because, again, wins are not going to be important next year. If we win anywhere from 7 to 13 wins for the season, we're going to be happy with it. If these guys are getting another 20 games together... If we win 13... If we win 13 games next year, we're going out for drinks to celebrate because we're probably making the finals. Well, 100%. And, you know, again, the players are, are 
suggesting that they can, you know, the ones we've spoken to, that they can make the finals. You reverse the three games we lost by two or one point this year. You add in the fact that we're going to have a much easier draw. I think at the start of the year last year, we we were maybe in the top six for rated most difficult draws, whereas we should be getting West Coast twice and North twice and, um, you know, straight off off the bat be in a position to win more games next season. But the point is, again, if it's seven or it's 11 or it's 13, where we want to be getting to in two or three years' time becomes a little bit less relevant. So actually workshopping some of the ideas like you've just mentioned about playing him through the midfield with those midfielders, it's only actually going to help on game day, given his quality. It's not like we're um, tanking Damo or anything like that by doing it, but, but next year's going to be a season to continue with some of those moves. It's worth noting also, Prinzi, I, I didn't mention that when you went through all of those stats off the back of that Box Hill game, so we got dropped and played for Box Hill and then came back and had a quiet game and then spent two games as the sub. He was brought off as a tactical sub. And it was that was the point where we were we were literally saying he's got to play full games. He's got to play every week. He's got to play full games. And it was only a few weeks later. He, he had a massive, uh, he was one of our best players against Port Adelaide in that disaster game leading into that Brisbane game. Um, And and that sort of five-week patch, I think, ended in um, big numbers against GWS, big numbers against North Melbourne. um, And and really, it it turned the second half of his season around. So those stats also need to take into effect that, you know, you're talking above average and elite stats in a lot of those areas. Well, two of those games he only played half of coming yep. off as the sub. So that makes yep. it even more impressive. It absolutely does. And I think, you know, the final point that I'll make on Connor McDonald, who I'm a big fan of, we all know you are a big fan of, um, good things happen when he has the football. So much like Dylan Moore, if you look through the good passages of play that the Hawks have had throughout the games where they're competitive or they win throughout the year, Connor McDonald has a say in a lot of those passages of play and you can't teach that. Um, you can't learn that, that you either have or you don't. And, you know, you spoke about how he's got to learn and he started to learn through his work rate, um, probably shadowing Dylan Moore about how to get involved deeper in the, in, in the play uh, and earlier in the play, he is often there at sort of that 75% point of a play where he's getting, a really important touch, which is opening up space or an opportunity or, um, you know, the option for us to either hit a leading forward, uh, put the ball to the goal square or kick a goal. And I think if you, um, if you add more players like that, that have a touch of magic, a little bit of a spark, a little bit of um, X factor, this Hawthorne team goes from being 16th place team to sort of the bot, the top half of the bottom the bottom group of, of clubs and, you know, maybe edging into finals in, in, in 12 months time. So um, Connor McDonald has a huge role to play in the future of the Hawthorne footy club. Um, and, you know, getting the ball into his hand is going to be as important um, as it, ca- as it might be going forward. 
there's only one more question I think that needs to be answered around Connor McDonald and 2024 Prinzi, and that is, do you do you jump the gun next season and take one of the lower numbers that might become available, or do you wait another year when, for example, the number one, the number eight? Uh, the number, well, the number 18 will be available next season, potentially a, a 16 or a 23 becomes available. Where, What's the school of thought? Does he just need to wait for the right number or does he need to jump at a lower number straight away? Yeah, look, I'll be completely honest. The the numbers thing, not my jam. Mm. It's not, it's not my, uh, I'm not too, not too concerned by it, but I think there's some beautiful synergy in, I'd like to see him in the number 16, I think. I feel like carrying on um, Isaac Smith's legacy, um, Lockie Bramble was definitely a stopgap solution. I think Connor McDonald would look nice in the number 16 and would be um, you know, a good way to put a good player into a new number and create, not a new number, but a sort of not as high profile a number as maybe some of the other ones. The Hawks have plenty of high profile numbers, um, but putting him into the 16 would look good and bringing back Izzy uh, as quickly as possible to present him with his jumper in the off season uh, would, would probably go a long way to making Darren Levine a happy man. So, all of those things are important to me uh, more than more than uh, more than player jumper numbers. But um, yeah, that that would be my that would be my jam. I, I would I would be getting him in and um, getting him into the sixteen. I think would probably you know I don't want to jump the gun, but you know Lockie Bramble's days on the Hawthorne list seem numbered. Um, and if he moves on, then that'd be the number I'd be giving him. Mm, that's a that's probably a discussion for another chat around Lockie Bramble, but um. Yeah, just the notion of him playing another 20 games next year and, you know, getting to 60 games at his age. We don't have many, you know, even our top-end draft picks now. You look at McKenzie and even Josh Ward and, like, he's going to already be ahead of where DGB, our top-end draft picks are tracking. Like, he's going to be leading the way. So He's not far behind games-wise. He's not far behind Will Day. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Very exciting. Fantastic. We are going to leave it there for this episode of the postseason player review podcast series. Um, Thank you so much for everybody that listened. Thank you so much to Andrew Weiss who climbed out of bed to deliver the goods once again. Um, For all of those of you who listen, who haven't yet subscribed to the Hawks Insiders on Substack, um, you can do that. $5 a month, $50 a year. We're coming into the off season. We have plenty of content lined up for you, both um, paid and unpaid content. But if you want the real goods, the really good stuff, you need to jump on and subscribe to our Substack. We really appreciate it. It allows us to do more and more of this stuff uh, and deliver you guys the content that you want. Um, Keep an eye on our Substack for plenty more articles and podcasts coming. And if you like this series, um, jump on comment, like, uh, rate it. Um, We'd love to hear your feedback as well on what you thought um, for this group of players and for all of the players we review, um, what you thought of their seasons. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. So the community we build here at Hawks Insiders is what makes us get out of bed every morning and continue to deliver the content for you guys. And we would love your opinions there too. So thank you very much for listening and we will talk to you soon. the Hawkins
Insiders production. Make sure to subscribe to our Substack for wall-to-wall Hawthorne footy content.